You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, Tennis.com Podcast returns this week. Pete Bodo, Steve Tigner. I'm Ed McGrogan here in New York. Um, we're just finished with a week of first week of Fed Cup play. We'll get to Davis Cup, which begins this weekend also in just a bit. First of all, I thought we'd touch on a couple of really off-the-wall news items that one was um, written about a couple days ago that was Arantxa Sanchez Vicario. I uh, just got put in the wires today. I saw um, alleging that all of her earnings are $60 million or so has really vanished to nothing. It has a lot to deal uh, with her, her parents as well. Pete wrote on this. Maybe we'll get his take on things here. And then another one today was another um, – Another really allegation, if you will, against Spanish uh, Spanish athletes, Picker Nadal, uh, connection to to doping. This is at least how the French uh, a French TV show, a, a satire show, puts it in a pretty pretty uh, gruesome looking uh, video. I, th- I thought of the whole thing, and uh, you can probably find that online. But we'll we'll talk about both those here. Uh, Vicario first, Pete, because you wrote about it. Um, Can you just go over a little bit of what happened to people that may not know the story? Well, long and short of it is she's claimed that her mother was an incredibly controlling woman right down to, you know, wanting to decide what Arantxa was going to wear, how she's going to do her hair, who she's going to date, all that stuff. And that fundamentally, even more importantly for Arantxa's future, that she basically absconded. The family basically took Arantxa's $60 million earnings, you know, uh, part of which is endorsements, the rest of it is prize money, and essentially left her penniless. And, of course, she is embroiled with the Spanish equivalent of the IRS uh, for a four-year period, right really in a sweet spot of her career when she claimed to be residency in Andorra, but I guess was proven to really spend her time in Spain. It was just a, you know, like a post office box address. So this is not like the first time we've heard whispers, or is, is this really the first public message from her about all this? This is the first public message from her about having been ripped off by her own family. And it's pretty, and it's pretty sobering because she doesn't speak to her family. She's in no communication, including her two brothers, Emilio and Javier, both of whom were Grand Slam champions in doubles, um, very good players actually in singles as well, but nowhere near Arancha, who won four Grand Slams and, and and numerous doubles titles and was number one in the world at one point. So it just, you know, you you, you like to think that there's something more going on that the family is maybe trying to cook the books somehow to hide the money from the IRS or something like that, but it doesn't seem to be the case. It's ugly. And and what she's saying is really, really, is really, really damaging to the to the family, the parents. There is a uh, I should mention we bring this up. Um, Bruce Jenkins of SI he he kindly linked to our site a few times in his columns, and he brought this this Vicario um, situation up in, in a piece he just wrote about still the existence of these these tennis dads really, and uh, the main crux of it was about Wozniak actually, and how that um, coaching situation has gone or with a coach that they brought in for only two months has already ended, gone sour. So if you, uh, as he links back to our pieces, I suggest you maybe check that out about about those one, two. One thing that's interesting is this Sanchez Vicario thing comes up right after Nadal, Rafael Nadal, um, had his own issues with taxes. His apparently his father has tried to, I guess Rafa has kind of allowed him to to control all of his his winnings, his finances, and he's. He tried to set up some some tax shelter companies in in the Basque region in Spain. I guess it, which is similar to what Sanchez Vicario she tried to claim residency in Andorra at one point. I guess it 
one thing it might show is you just should just move to Monte Carlo if you if you have a lot of money. You know, they, they get in trouble. This is something people don't talk about very much. So you go you go onto the ATP website, or you readers, your listeners, in fact, go on there, check out the French players. Go go look at the top French players. Go look where their residence is. These guys all live in in, in Switzerland or in other countries. All of them live in Geneva. Mm-hmm. All of them. So. Yeah, that is a it's an issue for these guys. It's a know. theme actually, really, in all sports. You the, always hear. Or I think uh, I think I read some words recently, like Terrell Owens has no money or something, or you know, just athletes that you would obviously never suspect with the kind of money they make ending ending up really, you know, for one reason or this. Obviously, these are family related matters, but uh, you I think know, Nadal with, has. You know, he's said he's been asked a lot why doesn't he move somewhere. He says he wants to be Spanish, stay in Spain, but um, but still he can't. He's not, of course, he's not going to do it, and and also pay the amount that he has to pay. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be a cynic, but part part of this depends upon how well your tax structure is set up in your country to shelter your money. But let's get right down to it. If you can shelter your money, you've got much. You know, you can claim to be a great patriot. That you love your country, but it's a lot easier to do that when you can shelter the money. If you can't shelter the money, then suddenly you're looking at. I mean, it's no coincidence. What Djokovic is what Monaco, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, players from East European countries, particularly where they have you know very probably you know a, a tax code that doesn't really give them a lot of leeway on these things, they just they just leave. Well, that was even true for going back to to Borg. He would play in the U.S. twice a year. That was it, because it was the only country where he had to pay taxes when he was when he was here. He basically set up his schedule, and ING set up his schedule. So that he could play internationally, where he places where he wouldn't have to pay mm-hmm. any taxes on that money. Yeah, and Nadal. That's recently one of his things uh, was about England and how he is playing Holly this year instead of Queens Club for basically that particular reason that he claimed to be almost losing money somehow on the whole proposition. As far but, as Sanchez Vicario, I think it's just too early to say exactly what. You know, we just haven't heard the last of of the story. I don't think. I you know we don't. It, it's tough to say what what the truth is at this point. Yeah. Um, and then the, the Nadal thing, like I mentioned earlier today, this all just is just coming out as well. Um, Canal Plus, which is the um, French broadcasting station, you probably see a lot on the Roland Garros broadcast over here, um, put out a like a satire video of basically Nadal. Um, it, it, it basically a, a, a pretty much accuses him completely of uh, you know of, of doping here and everything, and it's not. Clearly not a very tasteful way to do it, but it, it's like I was saying to Steve before. It's really just after these Noah comments sort of um, lingered away, because that really wasn't too long ago either. That made a huge story about um, you know that was published. This is published on television, and Noah put it in the in the paper. So this isn't like a you know a little blog entry that sort of circulated around the internet. These are through huge media um, outlets in France accusing this. Hey, it's a campaign. I mean, I wouldn't even call it a satire. What they did, what they did was basically an accusatory thing. It's a campaign against the Spanish. Yeah. And it comes up because of two things. The Contador cycling um, issue where he was was found guilty by by WADA and suspended after he had been let go um, with no suspension by the Spanish. And, And also, I think the Nadal Djokovic final you know just the the extent that that now we hear about how physical tennis is and i think this has given france after the noah issue after after noah spoke this has given them another sort of 
a chance to t- to to Not talk about this. Man, it's so weak. So so Steve, tell me. So you were in Australia, right? So so if Nadal was not if Nadal was not doping, let's let's assume Nadal is doping. Okay, so he wasn't doping. Does that mean Gail Monfils wins the Australian Open? Right. Yeah. You know the French are so weak. It's uh, well if if they uh, if you know if they if it wasn't a... for those dopers, our boys would be right up <laughs> right. there fighting for that title. Right? If they Give win me a, a break. If they win a couple ties in Davis Cup, Spain will play France actually coming up sooner. No, that's so a that... funny thing that Noah said. That is that'd be funny actually. That would that'd be worth going to. But it, it's funny that Noah Noah in fact even literally said, he said, well they they weren't beating us before. Now they're beating us as if that were you know proof that they're doping. So you know it's it's crazy. It's. It seems very, very outlandish. I totally agree with you on that. So um, let's quickly hit to, to the Davis Cup this weekend, uh, starting Friday. Um, basically, it feels like it just ended, as we kind of have discussed really year after year. I can definitely attest to that because I went to the final this year that felt like a few weeks ago. So this is really more the same. You know, I don't think it's entirely worth talking about the schedule because everybody has their own opinion on it. Nothing. It's a really tough thing to crack, just like the tour schedules. The only thing I will say, though, is that, um, you know, the two big movers and shakers of really the entire game, we've seen a lot about um, tennis getting treated so reverently by everybody after that final was that Nadal and Djokovic are not going to be playing in these two, in these opening round ties here. Um, So it's, it's definitely something that, that the, this competition always has to contend with, especially if they are playing their ties pretty much immediately after the grand slams. That's what happened last week up in um, fed cup. Azarenka didn't play against um, the Americans. That would have been a really interesting tie with her and Serena playing. So it's really, you know, that handicap, one of many handicaps that this competition suffers. And I think that's, you know, a big reason why, you know, the buzz really isn't there for this. And the I one think- positive you can say for this is Federer is playing. He doesn't <laughs> typically play. Djokovic and Nadal <laughs> typically play more often. This time, Roger's involved and he's playing the, the U.S. That immediately makes every, that tie at least, uh, a more interesting one because you have, you don't have Andy Roddick. You do have Roger Federer. You have Federer and Wawrinka against Fish and, and Isner. So that's... You know that that one has its interest, at least. You know, I had to laugh actually. I'm running about this a little bit later today, but uh, but Federer, when he was asked about this tie, and he literally he said, "Well, it's only normal to play this for me to play this tie after what Vavrinka did in Australia, meaning Vavrinka clinched a tie in the fifth and final match in a, in a four-hour match. It was held over Sunday night to Monday, although they only had to play one game on Monday. But <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm thinking, well. When, since when is it normal for you know Roger to start playing Davis Cup because his you know his his teammate clinched a tie? I mean he's always basically gotten them, kept them in the world group or kept them from falling out of the world group. Very erratic but consistent schedule for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, yeah. It, it, we'll see what um, you know what, what match he plays in here altogether. But um, Federer, you know. Does have a pretty good opportunity, you'd say, this year because of those Nadal and Djokovic omissions, too. So um, he goes against the U.S. U.S. missing their standby Bryan Brothers team. It's only Mike Bryan this time around. Um, Ryan Harrison also won, but probably won't see too much action there. And this is on clay, of course, in Switzerland. So, you know, as usual, I think this is a pretty tough ask. For the What's U.S. interesting is if, this, if Switzerland wins, how how much does Federer keep playing with, with the Olympics? We know he's going right. to be very involved with the Olympics. How far does he go with Davis Cup? That's something to, to look forward to. He's always tried to schedule 
he's always talked about the Olympics as his priority with that kind of stuff. Well, hey, look, I mean, I don't know what their draw. I haven't looked ahead in their draw, but I mean, part of me, part of me also, says, I don't want to be cynical about it, but part of me says Federer, Federer knows Nadal's not playing Davis Cup this year. He said, of course, that could change. And Djokovic, I think the jury's out. I think Djokovic will play if they're in a position to win the thing, but he's not going to go out of his way early on to get the team there. So, you know, I think I have a feeling Federer is going to look at that schedule very closely and make his decision based upon what he sees there. The winner of that tie gets a f- the winner of France and Canada in Canada. Uh, and uh, so that will be, um, and then, and that also in that section is Spain. They get Kazakhstan, the other matchup, top half Russia and Austria and the bottom half, you have um, the finalists last year. Argentina gets Germany. Croatia gets Spain. Serbia, without Djokovic, gets Sweden. Um, and the Czech Republic, perennial semifinalists, finalists, they're always kind of there at the end, gets Italy. So um, we're going to have a few previews on that tomorrow on the site from both these two gentlemen here. But uh, any any final Final words before? No, I, I didn't think so on that. <laughs> it's a lot to watch. Yeah, there is a lot to watch there. And then, you know, always the, the home and away, just, you know, that's, that does add a layer of intrigue to this. And, and we all, but, you know, the thing is, we always do, I think, tend to get, um, whether whether you like the competition or not, the, the matches do tend to be some of the more resonant ones of the year. We there always are, um, and, and usually in ties, you may not suspect that happens. Um, even really obscure ones where you had uh, the Karlovich and Stepanek match a year ago that was um, over six hours, I think it was, hundreds hundreds of aces, things like that. But you do tend to get really good stuff, and I can attest from going to the final last year, um, that was a really you know a, a the 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 two teams there Spain and Argentina did add a lot to that of course with their crowds and everything but um, you know I came away from that last year thinking that the one thing that I don't want to see ever change for this is that really home and away format that does make the competition so unique on a lot of levels see they got religion even though he's he's keeps saying that well a lot of people don't like this they don't like that if you don't like this if you like this if you don't like this don't watch. Something's it. wrong with you. <laughs> you know. There's good. I'll, I'll, I'll go fantastic. to the final this year, wherever it is, if they want to send. Me. So that was Absolutely. the least home and away type uh, atmosphere I've seen in a in a final, just because the Argentines they were almost they, as loud or louder were. than the Spanish. They absolutely were. Yeah. So, um, like I said, maybe the. Maybe the France-Spain semifinal is... Well, see, yeah, if the U.S. wins a double, I think it's interesting to see what will happen with the doubles with that, just one of the Bryans here, you know? I mean, there has been a school of thought. Who will Mike Bryan play with? Would you Fish or Isner, would you? That's a good question. I would probably say Fish. Yeah, I think so. Maybe depending on what those guys do the first day, but... I it's going to be slow clay, though, so it's going to be it's gonna be tough for whoever it's going to be. Right. You know, yeah. You're not going to pick a guy just because of his sir like you would in Isner on a fast court. But uh, but there's always been a school of thought saying that you know what it's it's not that good to have a dedicated doubles team. As as I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Brian's haven't been great because they have been great. But the captain's looking and saying you know what I'm I'm taking two guys. I'm really diminishing my options in singles and in some situations that's a big thing to give up. Yeah. All right. We'll see how it turns out and uh, tune in previews tomorrow. Recaps of the matches Friday. Uh, Pete Bodo, Steve Tigner. Ed McGrogan, thanks for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 